0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, we return to Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. A pre-tribulation rapture is predicted. This sermon gives rise to an invitation to personal salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, with this message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott.
1: So, will any of us be in the tribulation only if some of us are going to refuse Christ until the coming of the Christ as the rapture? How do I know that the believer in Christ will not go through the tribulation? Go with me to Revelation chapter 3. Scripture tells us in many places, but this is one that's very clear, that we will be kept from the hour of testing. The first chapter of Revelation is an overview John, on the Isle of Patmos, was visited by the Holy Spirit, and he was told what was going to happen. He was told to write it down. So the first chapter of Revelation is an introduction to the whole book. Chapters 2 and 3 were letters that Christ wanted John to write, inspired letters to ancient churches in the Mediterranean basin in the first century, Seven letters to ancient churches warning them, admonishing them to change as it was necessary for them to change. But in chapter 3, verse 10, in the letter to the church of Philadelphia, verse 10, "...because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing." That hour which is about to come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The hour that was to come after Paul, excuse me, John was moved to write the book of Revelation was the tribulation. That was the next hour to come. And he told the church at ancient Philadelphia, a church in the church age, the same age in which we are living. He said to them, verse 10 again, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you. The Greek word there means keep you from, keep you out of. It doesn't ever mean keep you through. He's not telling the church-age believers at the ancient church of Philadelphia that he will see them through the tribulation, that he will comfort them, that they will look after them. He's saying, no, no, no. He's saying, I'm going to keep you from the tribulation. I'm going to keep you out of the tribulation. And what he promised to the believers in ancient Philadelphia, he still promises to you and me He's going to keep us from the hour of testing. The other logical thing is, some people say revelation is so hard to understand. Well, there are some interpretive challenges, but it's really quite easy to understand. It's a logical progression of history. Chapter 1 is an overview. Chapters 2 and 3 are ancient letters to real ancient churches. Chapters 4 through 19 are the future events of the tribulation. Chapter 20 is the second coming of Christ in the millennium. Chapters 21 and 22 are the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal state. It's not that hard. And I would submit to you what God says in chapter 3, that he'll keep believers from the tribulation, <laughs> precedes chapter 4 when the tribulation starts, right? If we know Christ the Savior at the rapture return, we are kept from the tribulation, praise the Lord. Romans 8.1 also says that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't pour out his wrath on true born-again believers because all that wrath was poured out on his son on the cross. The tribulation age converts to Christ who die, die at the hand of Antichrist, not at the hand of the wrathful, of a wrathful God. I'll say that again. If you trust Christ in the tribulation and you die a martyr's death, you can't chalk that up to God's wrath on you because Jesus took God's wrath for you on the cross. When you die in the tribulation as a martyr, you die at the hand of an Antichrist who's evil. And so, just to wrap this up, if we know Christ as Savior at the rapture of the church, we go to be with Him and we're comforted. And that's only a comfort if we go to be with Him. If some of us were left behind at the rapture, how could the rapture be a comfort to those of us who are left behind? All of us who know Christ as Savior at the event of the rapture go. That's how it's a comfort. And so, my last question is the most important question Are you saved? Not as your husband saved or your wife saved, are you saved? Are you resting in the finished work of Jesus for you, because you know you're a sinner, and you don't stand a chance to get to heaven on your own merit? A man who taught me most of the evangelism I've learned in seminary taught his son very young to be an evangelist. He was his eight-year-old son, David, was going through the Walmart checkout line, and. The seminary professor's wife asked the woman checking them out at Walmart, are you going to go to heaven when you die? And she said, I sure hope so. And the eight-year-old David said, tell her about Christ, Mom. She ain't going to make it. I'm telling you about Christ tonight because without Him you ain't going to make it. The way you would be saved if you've never been saved is you would transfer your trust to Jesus and only Jesus to be the remedy for your sin, knowing that He shed His blood on the cross To cover your sin, to wash it away, to make you right with God. And you would turn from sin and you would turn from yourself and you would turn from Satan. In faith, you would turn to the Savior and you would take your refuge in Him by faith. That's how a person is saved. It is so simple and yet it is so complex that it will take all of eternity for us to figure out what it means to be saved. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Even a child can understand they're a sinner, that Jesus died in their place to pay for their spanking that God should have given them, and that if they'll trust Jesus to be their Savior, He will give them the gift of forgiveness and the gift of heaven. Have you received those gifts? Don't leave here tonight having not received them. Because the rapture return of Christ— could happen any time. There is no predictive prophecy yet to be fulfilled before the rapture return of Christ can happen. Don't wait. Don't put it off so you would have to trust Him as your Savior in the tribulation and all the horrors of that time period. Trust Him before the rapture. Trust Him tonight. Today is the day of salvation. Let me help you from where you sit, you could make this or the prayer you'd have to God. This is not a magic prayer. This is expressing your heart to God. He'll hear you, and He'll remember what you pray tonight. He'll save you. Dear God, you are holy, and I am not. I have sinned in many ways, and I can't cover over my sins in my own efforts. I thank you that Jesus loves me as a sinner. And he has proven his love for me as a sinner by dying for me. Thank you that Jesus was not a victim on the cross. He was a volunteer. And thank you that it was his love for me that caused him to submit himself to the horrors and the torture of that cross. Right now, in the best way I know how, I transfer my trust over to Jesus from myself. I transfer my trust over to Jesus from my sin. I transfer my trust over to Jesus from religion. I transfer my trust over to Jesus alone. Thank you that he is enough, as evidenced by his bodily resurrection from the dead. Father, if he hadn't paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future I know you would not have raised him from the dead, but you did. And so give me a sense of being clean before you. Give me a sense of your Holy Spirit coming to live inside of me permanently. Make me a new creation in Christ. Give me new appetites, new interests, new burdens. Teach me to walk with you. Surround me with people who love you and who will love me, who will help me to grow in a spiritual way. I transfer my trust to you, Lord Jesus, and I ask you to seal me with your Holy Spirit in this new salvation. Send me tonight to someone in the congregation who I can tell that I trusted Jesus to be my Savior before I leave the building. Help me not to keep news this big and this good to myself. Give me the courage to walk up to someone and say, I trusted Christ alone to be my Savior, that we could rejoice with you, that we could help you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake alone.
0: Amen. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers.
2: Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. And today we want to continue to talk about practice what you preach and Jesus in your influence. And today we want to talk about some people in the Bible who knew a lot. And they thought they knew a lot about the law and the word, and but they never practiced it. And as we consider this, there's the Pharisees and scribes. And, and even, in fact, in, in the chapter Uh, Jesus looks at seven woes to the Pharisees and the scribes. But today we want to just focus on Matthew 23, verses 1 to 11. It says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Again, as we consider this, Jesus is very clear and he's saying, look, these guys, you know, observe what they do. You know, they, they, they know what to say. They, they, they're saying all the right things, but their works do not show what they're preaching. And I think that too many times, again, as we looked at last week in a Christian life, this is us. You know, we can talk the game. We can talk the Christian life and we can talk about the Bible. We can quote scripture and we can do all these things. But the reality is, is that we don't practice what we preach. You know, here it is, as, as I said last week, um, you know, Paul is, is is very, you know, bold and saying, look at me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think that this is something that we need to understand as Christians, that this is how our, this is not just for someone like Paul, but this should be for all of our lives, that we should be able to tell people, look at my life. And in verse four, it says this, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make phylacteries broad and fringes long. As we consider this and we consider the, the word and we consider what's, what's happening here, again, it, it, it's to tell the people look, they say these things and they're putting all the burdens on you, but this is not what they're supposed to be doing. This would to be to help you, this would be teaching you. It's going to be showing you how to live. Not just telling you, but show you how to live. And in verse 6 says, And they love the place of the honored feasts and their best seats in the synagogues. Again, they want prominent. They're, they're, they're prominent people. And they want to, to sit in the prominent places. And I think too many times, again, as we consider this, and it's sad to say that we have a lot of churches in our country today like this. Where a lot of pastors and people will tell you what to do and and they want to show you, and they even tell you from God's word, this is what to do. But yet, they don't want to lower themselves, as we're going to look at later. As we consider the life of Christ, and we consider what type of influence Christ was, he came to this world to die for us. He came to this world to live a perfect life, to die. Not to, just, not to be honored, not to be lifted up, not to be, you know, for people to see him. But he lived a life and came to this earth to die for us. And verse 7 says, and greetings in the marketplace then being called rabbi by others. Again, it's about a title. They want to be called teacher. They want all these titles. And again, we see this in our church today where people want to be called all sorts of different things. But listen, we need to understand that Jesus himself wants to be called a servant. You know, before one leads, he must be able to serve. He must show people how to lead by serving. Again, as we consider, you know, we're not supposed to just be delegators and just tell people, oh, this is what to do. Do this, do that, do that, you know. No, we are to show it in what we do. People are to see Christ, and they're supposed to see a servant. Again, as in verse 8 says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Again, Christ here is, is just going right to the point. He's saying, look, we need to, you need to humble yourself in order for people to follow you. Because Christ himself humbled. Again, as, Christ cons- as we consider the life of Christ... You know, he, he humbled himself. You know, as we look at Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how he humbled himself even to death. And not just death, but death on a cross. And he did this for you and he did this for me. But yet in our, uh, in, in our culture today, and even like we say, we watch on TV and we see these preachers preaching and we don't see that. They want to be exalted. They want to be lifted up. They want to have these special names and special seats and everything else. But that was not Jesus. In fact, Jesus hits right at the core of, of a lot of people's problems, and it's pride. We think that we're better than we truly are. We think that we have it all together. We think that, you know, as we consider the Pharisees and the scribes, they knew what to preach. They knew exactly what to preach. And they preached the message fine, but they didn't practice what they preached. It was all about a show for them, just to tell the people what to do and hope that the people did it for them. But Jesus makes it very clear that the greatest among you shall be your servant. Again, he showed this. He practices. Christ practices. He did not just tell them to, oh, you must be a servant. No, no. He shows it all through his life. All through scripture, we see Christ as a servant. And in verse 12 whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Again, we should not. Ha- need for ourselves to get the pat on the back but we should humble ourselves and recognize that as a born again believer we are a influence of Christ we are representing Christ and because we represent Christ we need to humble ourselves we need to be like him we need to practice what we preach so I would challenge you this morning as you listen to this broadcast I want you to ask yourself this question what is it that you are prideful in what area of your life are you prideful in, you know, the way you um, conduct yourself and, and the way that you have people have to look at you all the time and lift you up? Or do you truly look at the life of Christ and realize that we are to humble ourselves? And if we humble ourselves, people will notice that. As we as I even consider this, and I'm just thinking right now, you know, we have people who, who wear these shirts that say humble beasts. You know, you don't need to wear a shirt that say humble beasts. What do you need to let people see that you are humble. And when people tell you that you're humble and they see the type of person you are, this isn't to make you get puffed up and prideful. But this is to say, you know what? Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. Because this is what I'm to do. I'm to, supposed to be influence people and I'm supposed to let them see Christ in me. In closing, I want to just say this, you know, and, and I know that, you know, many people different ages that this to this broadcast, but one of the greatest preachers was Charles Spurgeon. And there's uh, many stories about Charles Spurgeon. But one story that I remember uh, people talked about was Charles Spurgeon was a man who, you know, was a great preacher. People always came to him after the service and said, great message, you know, thank the Lord and, you know, all these things. And it's easy as a pastor to get puffed up and prideful in those situations. But what would happen is, is that he would always take those compliments and, and take them in. But what he would do is at the end of it all, it would only be like a crown that he would take off his head after preaching and and all this and say, you know what, God, this is for your honor and your glory. All these comments that that I've gotten, this is for you. This isn't for me, but this is for you. And I think that if we recognize that in our lives, if we recognize that everything that we are is because of Christ, we would live differently. We would truly practice what we preach. Because if we practice what we preach, we will be bringing people to Christ and we would be a great influence, not just to the people around us, but as a as a culture, everyone around us can see Christ in us. So I want to just challenge you to, again, practice what you preach. Be the person that God wants you to be. And be an example that brings people to Christ. This is Pastor Nicholas with of Utah.
0: Today's Help for the Hearing segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. The Center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, the Executive Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett.
3: Good morning, and thank you for having us in your homes again this morning. In the studio with me uh, is Deborah Arnett. Yeah. Uh, the last time, you, if you uh, listened to us, uh, we asked a question. I'd like to ask that question again. And the question was, what is one of the greatest challenges... Impacting the quality of parent-child relationship in our country today. And uh, she will continue uh, with answering that question. Deborah?
4: Well, as I mentioned last week, um, I think the greatest challenge, based on my observations and interactions with children and adolescents, has been the issue of there being a loss or the losing of honor within our homes and within our um interactions between a parent and a child and so I've found a lot of adolescents are struggling to honor their parents because of different things that they have observed so last week we mentioned the observation of hop- hypocrisy where their parents are not um, walking in their words they're mm-hmm. living in conflict with what they're saying mm-hmm. um, the lack of integrity so a parent will admit you know they don't abide by certain things but this child may be exposed to different things Community activities or organizations that promote the very things that the parent is not necessarily advocating. Mm -hmm. Also cultural attitudes. Um, There are a number of individuals within the media who will mock parenting. There are a number of shows within the media that will mock um, parent-child interactions and the role of a parent and the importance of honoring parents. And then I also mentioned the absence of parents, not just physically, but emotionally and even spiritually, Mm -hmm. where parents are not as engaged emotionally and spiritually with their children. And sometimes it's simply because they don't feel as if they have the tools to engage their children, particularly as their children grow and develop and become adolescents that ask a lot of questions or challenge their authority. Um, They tend to become more removed and just give instructions and distance themselves emotionally and spiritually from their children because they don't know what to do with the child. Um, And then I mentioned two other factors, and those were um, the parent's approach to the child. So if the parent takes an approach where they're utilizing fear, power, and force in a way to control that child, in a way to lord over that child, and sometimes even in a provoking fashion, ultimately that atrophies honor. And so you'll find a lot of adolescents describe experiences where their parents have used um, force that was excessive, And in response to that, that adolescent has developed a lack of respect for their parent over the course of time because they feel as if their parent does not love them and does not respect them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, I mentioned that the use of words, in other words, a parent uses words and... um, they're not words of life, they're words of death. So the parent is saying a lot of unconstructive things. They may not be cursing out their children, but they are not speaking life over their children. Mm-hmm. And in response to that, the child finds it difficult to relate with the parents. But I think that there are two important truths that need to be held um, and uh, embraced by an adolescent or a child with regards to their parents. No matter what their parents are doing, no matter how their parents behave, honor is not optional.
3: Right, right, right. So...
4: It's not, hey, my mom's good, so I'm going to honor her. Hey, my mom does these things, and so she's a hypocrite, so I have the right to dishonor her. Honor is essential. Yes. And there are a number of young people who have dishonored parents that they thought were not honorable enough. And if they were to sit with us today, they would describe their regret for ignoring the instructions of their parents. I've sat with young men that would describe how their fathers weren't necessarily walking in integrity in the way that they related with their mothers, but then when that young man were considering pursuing a specific relationship with a specific girl, the father would step up and speak up and say, you know, I don't really think this girl would be the best person for you. Mm-hmm. And in reaction, the son would start to think about his father's example and his father's history and come to the conclusion, well, who are you to speak to me about this?
3: Right.
4: And dismiss what the father has to say. And there's a specific young man that I can think about right now. Um, who articulated a great deal of regret for ignoring his father Mm -hmm. because his father was right on target. His father knew, although he didn't live it out. And then the other point that I think is very important um, to articulate is that we don't age out of honor um, because we're adults, it doesn't become acceptable sorry, for us to be dishonoring. Right. Um, to assume, well, you know, my ma- my dad, he's an old man and he doesn't know anything and this is what I'm going to do and I'm just going to do it this way and he always did it that way. That doesn't work. I think it is extremely important, no matter how old we are as adults, that we honor our parents right. because our kids are watching us. Yes. Also, God, if you have an intimate relationship with God, he is watching and observing the way that you are relating with your parents. And mm-hmm. there are a number of stories told within our culture where an adult child will behave in a fashion that dishonors his or her parent, um, whether it be removing them from the home and placing them in a community care facility and taking over the home, and that parent just withering in response to this, the dishonor that was shown to them, mm-hmm. or even just simple acts of speaking to them with disrespect, dishonor. Dishonoring your parents is unacceptable no matter how old you are.
3: Yes, um, I recall saying to my uh, children, as long as you're in my home, I expect you to respect me as the father. In other words, you, you are my child, even if you're 100 years old and I'm 160, you're still my child. So uh, I I can really uh, uh, appreciate that. Thank you very much, uh, Deborah,
0: for sharing with us again this morning. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at EOCradio at gmail.com. That's EOCradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.